All right. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. This is the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and we're all about the rock and roll today. How about a rock and roll Hall of Famer? Glenn Hughes is here. Uh, Glenn played bass and sang for Deep Purple. He sang for Black Sabbath. He is a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, class of 2016, friends with David Bowie. Bowie actually lived with Glenn in Los Angeles for a few months back in the 70s. We'll hear how that happened and what it was like. Glenn's also talking about Deep Purple's infamous performance at the California Jam in California in 1974, where Richie Blackmore blew up his amp, smashed up his guitar. It's his version of the classic gig. You remember when David Coverdale was on uh, last year? He told the story. Glenn's uh, telling his version and uh, uh, what happened for Richie Blackmore to flip out and why he eventually quit the band. Richie, that is. Glenn's also speaking about his infamous battle with addiction. What really happened on the Black Sabbath tour in the 80s, uh, he's not he's not very proud of it. His relationship with David Coverdale, his bandmate, ex-bandmate. Lots of great rock and roll stories with Glenn Hughes coming up. And believe me, he has seen and done it all. One of the uh, most notorious uh, shall we say, partiers of the 70s, but he's all he's all reformed now, completely sober, and a great, great guy, a perfect English gentleman, Glenn Hughes, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, coming up. Uh, you know who else is going to be a Hall of Famer? I'm not sure what Hall of Fame he's going to be in, uh, but Conan. Definitely probably in the Lucha Libre Hall of Fame, Mexican Hall of Fame, but Conan should be in the Podcasting Hall of Fame for just coming out of the gate on fire for keeping it 100. The first podcast on the Jericho Network. Huge hit right out of the gate. Uh, Episode 5 is up this weekend, and what a cast of characters he's got. Disco Inferno, uh, Shane Helms, Hurricane will be there. Rey Mysterio is on the show. He's also got Famous B. A lot of cool guys. They're talking about bad movies. They're talking about the Blair Witch Project. They're talking about uh, Ricochet. Ray Mysterio Jr. talking about his, his recent match with Ricochet. Lots of great stuff uh, on Keeping It 100, the flagship show on the Jericho Network right here at Podcast One. Go subscribe at iTunes uh, so you don't miss a single crazy antic quip or, uh, or uh, ridiculousity. And go comment on the episode as well and give your rating. So uh, hit the subscribe button for Keeping It 100 with Conan and do it for Talk is Jericho as well if you haven't done that yet. Okay, Glenn Hughes is going to be here, ready to rock momentarily. We're going to get that conversation started. But first, I want to ask you a little quiz. What is the sixth highest rated documentary of all time on Netflix right now? What is it? It's the resurrection of Jake the Snake. I'm not kidding. People! Diamond Dallas Page and his crew put together a heck of a documentary. And trust me when I say this is not a wrestling documentary. This is Jake's life story. The story about how he overcame addiction, cheated death, turned his life around, reconnected with his family, and saved his career. Now, you're going to love the resurrection of Jake the Snake. That's why I'm suggesting you make it your uh, next must-see on Netflix. Be sure to rate it after you watch it. Uh, you're not going to want to uh, miss this one. It's, it's an unbelievable uh, documentary about the rise and fall and subsequent rise of a pro wrestling icon. Uh, He changed his whole life around thanks to DDP. And once you're fired up to change your own life around with DDP Yoga, take advantage of this amazing offer that Dallas is offering the Sexy Beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. 20% off anything you purchase at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho for a limited time. It's never going to get any better than this. 5, 10, 15, 20% off anything at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That means 20% off the collector's edition of the Resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary, 20% off the DDP Yoga program, 20% off anything at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage of it. Check out the Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Then check out the program. Change your life physically and mentally. Be the best person you can be. I am 100% behind DDP Yoga. 
It saved my life. It can do the same for you, just like it did for Jake the Snake Roberts. Start today. Once again, ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Do it now. Hello? Hello. That's good. Hello. You sound like two perfect gentlemen. Okay. At the ungodly hour of 11 a.m. Yeah, well, I'm just like late for me. But. <laughs> <laughs> We're not so rock and roll this morning, but this is this is a great day. Glenn Hughes going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's is, is that kind of, does it mean a lot to you now that you're actually here? I know you relate to this, Chris. When I was a preteen, when I was learning, let's just say I was named, well, I was named after Glenn Miller, the famous. Oh, really? You know, a uh, veteran from World War Two, yeah. who we lost, and his plane went down. So, of course, what was the first instrument I played? It would have been a trombone, which was correct. Um, I grew up in a musical family. My folks were Glenn Miller and Frank Sinatra fans. So, you know, I started out playing the trombone. Did you really? Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. I also started out playing the trombone. Stop it. Yeah. I you... gave up guitar lessons to join the, the high school or the junior high school band. No. How often do you have two trombone players I, in the same is, room? This, this is, people, this is a first. <laughs> you got to, where is it your, is it your uh, embouchure? What's it where you go? <laughs> yeah. Whatever that word is. To oh, get I your... tell you, I had a really tough time with it. But, it's hard. But one day I came home from practice at school as a 12-year-old. It would, I would, it'd be 1963. And you wouldn't, you weren't around that, that much time. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you that it was a tea time TV show, black and white, and there were four guys playing music. And you know what I'm going to say now, yeah, of course. And they were from Liverpool, and I was 12. I was preteen, and I remember distinctly saying to my mother when they'd finished playing Twist and Shout, "Mummy, can I have some of that?" <laughs> Whatever that meant, <laughs> right? You know, and they went without and bought me my first guitar, which I slept with, as you, you know, sleep in your wrestling stuff when you're a kid or your baseball gloves. I, with your and, with and, your doll or whatever. And I, I've been kind of sleeping with the guitar ever since. Mm-hmm. Nonstop. You know, and, and that's the art and the love of what I consider the thing. The thing that saved my life is not just sobriety but the music saved my life you know it's like it's incredible the gift that that we've been given but but the 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 combination to go into the hall of fame like some guys will go like oh i don't give a shit or whatever but well to get to your the answer when i was that young and learning how to play guitar uh not knowing this is before hall of fame was introduced not knowing about what success was Success to me was watch, looking at the Beatles and then the Stones. And then, you know, gradually moving my way up to writing songs. And I'm going, this is about, this is about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> and then having my songs played on radio. The first time you hear, as you know, the your first time you hear your song played on radio. It's a, it's a moment you'll never forget. I can tell you when it was and where it was in 1969. Where was it? It, I was, it was it was at Radio Luxembourg. You, you probably don't know about it. Was a big that. pirate radio it was a pirate station. Pirate radio station. Yeah. This, you know, and uh, the song was "Send Me No More Letters." It was trapeze, and it was one of those moments. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing at Carnegie Hall in 1970. Mm. You came to the states opened, that early. Opened for the, we opened for the Moody Blues in 1970, and we we played 15 shows in the states in in 16 days. Don't ask me how. <laughs> and the forum in LA and all all venues that are probably now closed down. The forum is now, but you know, major. And after that, you're going. Well, this is it, right? And then 
I joined this band called Deep Purple, who at the time were the biggest band in the world. I'm going, well, this, this is it. This, 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 they're not going to get any better than this, is it? Mm-hmm. And I can go on and on and on. Sure, sure, sure. Which brings me all those years later to today. And here I am and in this wonderful city being inducted with my family. Mm-hmm. Which, Beautiful. So, I mean, when, when you found out... I've never been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before. So, how does it work? Did you get a call from the band or from the no, hall itself, or the hall. who decides? I met with uh, Rick Cram from VH1, the guy that kind of was. A, he's the guy that got Eddie Trunk on the air yeah. at the VH1, and Rick's involved with the Hall of Fame, one of the board members, and he told me how it works. There are nine hundred voting members and those 900 are the, the people that have been inducted all these 30 years <laughs> they are the ones that vote with song with bands that are on the ballot okay you've got to get on the ballot so now I found out a little bit more which I needed to know because he said to me who would who would you like He's asking me who would I like to be on, on and I, I sort of I'd made Judas Priest I mean I had to because of my friends you know I get yeah, because I mean, with Purple getting in after Sabbath and, and Zeppelin, you would think you know, I mean, Metallica were in there, so it's like mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about rock now. No disrespect to anybody else, no, rock, rock music and roll, to me is um, generally now the, the ne- my next generation for me would have been uh, Rob and, and Bruce and the guys, mm-hmm. so Scorpions type guys. Exactly, yeah. there's so many that aren't in. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but we've been nominated three times now, and it's like when we—I I was in Tokyo when I got the call in December that we got in, and I had to pinch myself a little bit. Then I started to chuckle because the us the band were never really upset that we never got in because we just thought here's what it is. But for the fans, I felt so sorry because the fans really would really hurt, right? As you can imagine, sure. So for them. They all they get. This is the my award is dedicated. I swear to the fans. I mean, completely, one hundred percent. I'll take it home. Mm-hmm. I will cut it in half and give half to Tommy Bowling. <laughs> yeah, if I could. Yeah, seriously. Right. But I'm really. I'm. This is not. I'm not, no joking. I really. This is a fan celebration for me. But I think it's the same when, when, like, when Kiss went in and talking with Paul about it. Obviously, no love lost between the Rock or between Rolling Stone and Kiss or Deep Purple or Rush. No, those are always the three that it's like, yeah. come on. And I think when you finally get your chance to go in, yeah, it's great, but it's for the fans to finally be able to say, "My band is it in." Really is, you know. And after all these years, Deep Purple should have been twenty years ago. It's. I got asked on. TV yesterday. How does it feel to be inducted in this in this year? And I'm going well. I know Steve Miller. I know, I know Cheap Trick. Mm. I know a couple of guys in Chicago. And it's like it's 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 almost like serendipity for me because I know guys. You know, it's a it's a great opportunity for all of us to. I'm kind of a lover, you know. I'm kind of a hogger, and a, yeah. I'm not really a, you know. I, I talk to folks and social, and it's a, it's a big event for that for me, mm. you know. I'm I'm not an isolated man. I like to mingle. 
How about as far as the you know the the inner politics of the band itself? Like, I'm assuming that you and Dave are probably still friends. Tighter than you can imagine. Because Dave, actually, David reminds me a lot of you. You guys are very similar, gentlemanly. You know, I'm sure I've been through the <laughs> he, ringer. He talks like this, my love. Hello, Christopher. Yeah. How are you, <laughs> How are you my love? <laughs> love him to death. Right. So you guys going in together? Is, we are. Is we're great. arm in. We're arm in arm. The the truth is, and I have to be very careful here, Chris. The high road is a good. Absolutely. We are not performing with Deep Purple, mm-hmm. let, let, and let's be clear. We have been gone out of the band for forty-one years. The band that is currently going are the ones that are playing tonight, which, and I must say, deservedly so for them. You're talking about the current Deep yeah, Purple Yeah, the current lineup, Deep right? Purple. Sans, Steve Sans, Richie, and John. Yeah. May he rest in right. peace. Uh, Don and, and Steve are with the guys. But to the fans out there, look, whoever plays in Deep Purple, and I think we all know it's going to be, I'll be applauding them as they would be probably applauding me. Mm-hmm. There's no animosity. There's no secret agendas hidden here. We are getting inducted, and it's a family affair. And I think, too, I mean, after all these years of doing this and going through the ups and downs of being in show business for so long, you have to realize after a while, like you said, hey, high road is best. We'd love to play. We're not playing. But at the end of the day, it's about the fans. It's going to be a great time. Would it be, you know, I think that's, that's a good attitude to have. It is. Rather than being like, what the hell's going on? It really but- is. And I'll tell you why. When I was 12, I was everything but wise. At this point, <laughs> I'm, a lot, I'm, I'm not a lot of other things, but I am wise. Yeah. And I've learned to think before I speak and and hold no resentments, which is difficult, and walk through the fear. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And just breathe and let it happen. In mm. the moment. Serendipity. Does it help that you kind of have a kindred spirit with David Coverdale? Kind of you guys were in the band together. You're up there together. Same situation. So, Chris, I think you'll see it off camera and on camera. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely unique. We are, as you know, I don't know if you know, we, 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 are, we call each other the unrighteous brothers. <laughs> and we are really as, as close as you can get without being blood. Yeah, which is great. After Dram- all these dramatically so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm almost to the point of the laughter. We laugh all the time, which is hugely important in my life. But there's some tears of joy as well. You know, it's like, can you believe that we're doing this and it's like you know he's a he's a guy that's had almost a hundred that hundred million records in white snake you know unbelievable right you know, yeah. my recovery from from everything that you, you can imagine well and you never stop working too you always no. have cool bands that you're there was in a period where i didn't work because of my you know yeah. dark days but i overcame that which leads me to say you know john and tommy aren't here mm-hmm. i am here and i think it's a it's a good time spiritually for me to be inducted because I'm in a in a good place you know right in a really I'm breathing right on the right side of the grass um, in, in acceptance of who I am uh, in my own skin you know it's, it's a good thing is, is Tommy Bowen being inducted no that, that's the thing I don't understand like some let's guys are in that. some guys are not I don't I don't get that let's talk about this Please. which is astonishing yeah if Rod Evans, the guy that sang Hush, you're mm-hmm. too young, but you know the history, but you know the guy that sang Hush, right? 
how come he's getting inducted and the bass player isn't? Right, Nick Simper is not getting Nick in. Nick Simper. How come you are getting in and Tommy Bowen is not? I know. I know. Once now, again, it happened with Kiss. The four guys, but no Bruce Kulick, no, no. Eric Carr, no Eric Singer. I don't get the division. I've been talking quite a bit to Greg, uh, the CEO of the Hall of Fame, and I, have, I, I can't ask them this question. You know, it's kind of like irreverent to ask mm-hmm. why it's none of my business, although it kind of is, but it's none of my business how they operate. There's a lot of, you know, ed, the Eddie Trunk syndrome, how, you know, oh, my God. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a nobody's kind of in there, you know. It's like so we'll get to, to feel more of what the real deal is. Don't you know that every year something like this happens with every band? Yeah. I mean, right. Matt, you know, Sorum is with us right now, and, and um, Matt, and he, he was, you know, still angry that he never got to play, you know. With the Guns N' Roses? The yeah. You know, he was like, he's, I mean, I, I say jokingly angry, because he's, he's been three Did years. Did he now. go in? Yeah, he went oh, in. Oh, he went in, okay. You know, and by the way, Chris, truly now, off or on mic, if I don't get to sing at all, I've got that award, and I'm thanking the fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we, we all know. If people don't know I can't sing or, or play, then, <laughs> yeah. then that's also okay. Yeah. You know, because I'm grateful. Yeah. This is a huge moment. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, oh, that, that was Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. wait till you get your award. You won't say that. That's right. Wait till you're up there getting it. You know it's a what I'm saying? You, yeah. You're in a situation where you've got awards, and then... You know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a matter of grace and gracefully accepting them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about Blackmore? Have, do, you, do you have any relationship with Richie at all? Get a visual. Richie left the band in April of 75 in Paris. I have not seen him or spoken to him in 41 years. And let me tell you why. There's a funny aspect to this. Richie does not like to use the computer or the phone. So I'm thinking, is it a carrier pigeon thing? Do I have to <laughs> Smoke signals? send some elves over there? <laughs> um, when John was alive, before he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, when he was in good shape, he went into Classic Rock magazine and said, wouldn't it be great to get Mark III back together again? And me and David heard that story and... We got a conference call, David, John, and I, about, well, who's going to call Richie? I'll do it. No, let me do it. No, I'll do it. <laughs> but nobody could get him on the bloody phone. <laughs> Re- really? Right. Months and months and months and months went by. And then John got diagnosed. So the Richie story, according to The Chase Now, a month ago, I was told by somebody that works with him and me, somebody that works kind of in the organization of um, Deep Purple, said that Richie um, was going to attend. So I said, and I have to say this appropriately, I said on Twitter, I hear, not I know, I hear that mm. Richie is going to attend. Isn't this great for the fans? And, you know, um, and with all respect to Candace, I, she, um, she Richie's wife. quickly got on Twitter and said, uh, who you heard this from? I said, I didn't want to say who, but somebody that she knew. And basically, she kind of put it straight to me and the fans that, you know, he's not going to come, he's not going to come. And I'm going, well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have inducted him. 
why wouldn't he want to come? I had to ask that question. Mm-hmm. I wasn't right. being facetious. I just had to. She says, because, you know, he's not coming. So I had to let it go. Mm. I did try to coax him. So, you know, and I also got shot down by some of his fans, you know. by Yeah. Uh, they unfollowed me with, <laughs> for some reason because, you know, you've got to know fans of Richie Blackmore out there. I'm a fan and a friend of his from 41 years ago. I just thought it would be great for his fans to see him get inducted for his fans. But I'm not Richie. Mm-hmm. I love him. You can love somebody you used to know 41 years ago. You guys shared that time together. Yeah. Experience. Um, so I stopped shooting myself in the foot and let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. You, I always, gotta, you yeah. always wonder about that. Like, I mean... Van Halen's didn't show up for their induction. Axel didn't show up for his. Richie didn't show up for his. I, I, I guess it's hard to get into their heads as to why, but I, I think maybe they think it's, it's cool not to show up. Like, I don't need this. No, man. There's something. Mm-hmm. Look, look. The social networks is a huge, huge. It's been huge for so long. My webmaster got me onto. I think I was one of the first people on Twitter. <laughs> I got a huge, a fantastic web team. And I. I'm really getting savvy myself now. I'm not a technical dude on the internet. I don't know if you are. I'm just not. But I, I get so much, you know, help you use from... use it to your advantage. Yeah. But um, my, my love for Richie goes way beyond music. We had such a great relationship. And um, he's got a lot of fans. And I we have... His fan base is kind of mingling with mine and mine with his and it's, it's I would love the family to be mm-hmm. although we're not together I just want to keep the band and the brand intact so that's the key the brand but remember purple. I have to be an acceptance of what I can't change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's that serenity prayer thing <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah yeah so we were talking earlier about how uh, inducting the band is probably Deep Purple's most, biggest and most famous fan Lars Ulrich and I'm sure he was been pulling for you guys the moment Metallica stepped through that door to get in. I got a story for you. 1973, December, we are playing Copenhagen. And we're in the lobby of the hotel. And outside, there are a good 30, 40 fans. And there's a mid-teen kid with his nose pressed against the window with his father. And I got an a glimpse of that and I went out there and signed his book and him being Lars and it's a big story for him also for me because Lars wrote the forward to my book and he's been a huge before I got involved with Purple he's a massive Purple fan yeah. of all That's his Mark 2, Mark 3 and for him to be inducting Uncle Glenn <laughs> you know, that's why I feel because Lars is, you know, a, a generation down from me, as you are. It's it's appropriate, mm-hmm. you know. It's very appropriate that someone that has such a love and has, has been on the Hall of Fame as, uh, and they get inducted and, and, and mentioned Deep Purple. I mean, mm. come on. So it's a huge thing for us to have someone that's so in love with the machine that got him started. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, his favorite band. That's true, absolutely. How do you remember that it was Lars? I mean, sure, I'm sure you signed thousands because of autographs. we've spoken about it. We've, we've, we've heard about, I mean, I've seen it on the internet and we talked about it in the book and 
But, I, you know, he, he mentioned to me about that story. I'm going, I remember signing that boy's book. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. The full circle. No, I'm you not may- sure if I was the only one that did it, but I did. I did. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You mentioned earlier that when you joined Deep Purple, they were one of the biggest bands in the world. Yes. How was that for you? I mean, how how did you, uh, when you get that gig... And go from you know trapeze playing in the stage is great, but now you're in the biggest band. Yes. How do you handle that as a well, twenty-year-old kid? I know it's a little bit before your time, but in '73, Machine Head are made in Japan with the two biggest records. I got an award in late '73, before Burma's release for Deep Purple number one act Billboard that year. Of course, I wasn't on though. That <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. But I got somebody's award. <laughs> I joined uh, in 73 the biggest rock act in the world and over the last 10 years has been the Peppers have been the biggest rock act or the Maiden and ACDC and, and, but in 73 I, I had joined a band that was the biggest band in the world so that was a challenge how do you top Machine Head mm-hmm. you know it's a big big Especially, especially after losing the singer of of those albums. And, and Gillen, in the early seventies, had a magnificent, not just a scream, but he had a magnificent tone. And um, Ian, 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 Ian was done. I think we all know why. I think the tension between certain members was too much for certain people, and it was driving certain people nuts. And I get it. Mm. I completely get it about when you drift away because you've had enough. Some people ride the course of it and they're not here any longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the right thing for Ian to do. And then they asked me to come in, you know. Uh, did you I, have to audition or did you just no, get, the, get the offer? The story is they had been tracking me, <laughs> weirdly tracking me. I did a residency at the Whiskey at Go-Go, late 72, and in the audience one night was John Lord. And the next night was Ian Pace. And by the way, I was 20. And you can imagine a 20-year-old kid playing a whiskey, a go-go, what, 300 people? Yeah. Sold out, which was nice. Um, I just thought, hey, there's two guys in Deep Purple here who are like big band who I didn't know. They're really liking my band. <laughs> I had no idea. And then we played the Marquee, another great club in London. And Richie Blackmore shows up. I'm going, hey, he, he, he likes our band too. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. And then I heard that Gillen was quitting. Still had no idea. Mm-hmm. Had no idea. Until uh, they they were playing the Garden in... Would have been May of '73, and I was playing in Baltimore the night before, and I had like three days off. And they flew me, they fly me in, and I'm thinking, 
what's going on here? But I remember I heard Gillum was leaving, right? I'm going, maybe they're going to ask me to sing and play bass. So I saw the show at the Garden. Next day, we're at the Essex House in the Marriott Hotel on the park in this conference room with the management and Ian Pace and John Lord and Richard Blackmore and no Roger Glover. And they said, you know, after we sat down a few minutes of back and forth, they said, we've been looking at you and we think you're great. Would you like to join the band? I said, "Uh, um, what do you want me to do? (laughs) We want you to play bass. I said, because, uh, you know, I, I, at that point in 72, 71, I was singing lead. Clint Trapeze, you the bass player and the singer? I was, singer. I was lead singer. Just the singer. Bass player. Bass player, too. Gotcha. As I was in purple. Right. The, and I don't know if you know this, Chris, but this is common knowledge. They were about to ask or ask Paul Rogers to be the front man. Oh. So this was news to me and on that morning in the Essex house. The left side of my brain went, no, you're a singer, Glenn. But half a second later, my right side went, me, it's Paul Rogers. Maybe I'll get to sing with him. And I said this. I very boldly, as a 20-year-old kid said, because they're eight, ten years older than me, I said, well, I'm a singer, but if I can sing some lead vocals, <laughs> instead of like, ooh and ah, I'll... I'd love to. It sounds like Oliver. Please, sir, may I have some more? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. May I have some more, please? (laughs) I said, I would love to, thinking I'm going to get to sing with a great singer. I love Paul. He's a friend of mine. Wow. But I I, I, I joined because simply whoever they were going to get, which wasn't Paul because he was forming Bad Company at that time, as you know, I joined because... They gave me the thing, thumbs up that I would get to sing some. And I wasn't being like arrogantly like I want. Mm. I want to sing. I've got to sing. I wanted my art was saying you must sing, Glenn. You're a singer, you know, which most people know I am. Mm-hmm. So I joined, and Paul said no. They put me in the, all over the press that I joined, and Paul said no. But it didn't matter because I was going to sing. I wasn't forcing myself on them to sing. They, Richie Blackmore wanted two singers. I think a lot really? of people don't really know this. Richie, this is all over the internet on YouTube and stuff. These wanted two singers. David would be, when, when we, we only auditioned one guy out of at least 200 horrible little Reeboks, <laughs> reel to reel. Little demo tapes, yeah. cassettes, you know. Right. So we heard all the, and there was really only one voice. And he was singing, you never close your... He was singing really baritone, bluesy. He had that deeper, because David got a rich, deep voice, mm-hmm, you know, in mm-hmm. early purple. Mm-hmm. Richie was besotted with it, with my higher voice. And he saw something and heard something, which, when David came into audition in London, the guys went for lunch, and David and I sat at the piano and recorded a little Hughes covered L thing Avabratos were perfect mm. his tone was lower mine was higher but the breathing and the vibratos were absolutely on point <laughs> you know slow or fast yeah and it was remarkable just the vibrato action and this and we were both northern kids uh, born a month apart 
listening to the same music growing up. And the bold thing I thought was it would have been ridiculous to, to emulate Gillen with a, with a Gillen sounding singer. Right. Or emulate someone like Roger or, you know, or whatever. I, I just think it was very bold of them to, A, invite me to sing and play and to invite David Coverdale, a complete unknown. Never been on a stage, never made a recording. Wow. It's not like Bon, bon Scott and, and, and Brian, where Brian had been with Geordie, which was the only other lead singer thing that worked, mm-hmm. thinking about it. But basically an unknown guy. You, you get Sammy Hagar going into Van Halen, yes. but he had his own yes. career. Or, or Dio. Brian wasn't unknown. In, mm-hmm. the, in, in the America it was. In England, he had a band called Geordie. Yeah, which a couple of albums. Newcastle, right. you know. mm-hmm. But he had a, a, a big song over there. But the scenario I'm trying to say is, is that I thought Black, 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 Richie, as, as eccentric as he is, I say that with love, by mm-hmm. the way. It's true. I say it was a bold, bold, bold move. But, but think about it from his standpoint. It's actually quite genius because you mentioned Deep Purple, biggest band in the world, lose the lead singer. So what can I do to add to it? I can bring in two guys that can really sing and kind of expand the vocals of Deep Purple rather than just leaving it. Bring Here's one guy. Yeah. He's brought in two. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I, I was hoping to God that their word was as good as it was. Because truly now, I've never been driven by the god of money. I think a lot of people know that. Because my art is so important to me. And I know you feel the same mm-hmm. way. It has to be the first thing. Because everything else will follow if, you, if your heart runs the show. And my heart runs the show. And I, always, I, I have to be honest, I knew in 72 I made an album with Trapeze and it was a moment where I knew I think I can sing. It took me a minute. Mm-hmm. It took me two or three years after having this voice. I wasn't sure, but by the end of 72 I'm going, I can sing. Got it, yeah. You know, and I, I know as a 20-year-old kid in front of all those mega stars in front of me at their six hours, I had to tell them, can I please just <laughs> sing you know a little bit right which you got to and by the way jumping to burn when we made the album we were gotta, gotta get a visual we're in Montreux in a casino uh, it was a, a vacated place with a Rolling Stones truck like smoke on the, water. the mobile truck right yeah and we were about to sing a song on burn and it was this and I know you'll get a visual because you know David oh no after you, sir. Uh, you, I insist you take the first verse. Oh, no, no, uh, uh, you. You. <laughs> you take. No! I insist. You. And it was like that. You but sing it. The beauty of it, what you heard, is exactly how it should have been. Mm. You mean if you talk about the arrangement of it? To burn, yeah. It's like it wrote itself. And the arrangement on the vocals. Remember, I, we we were not in competition. He and I, we fell in love with with each other as friends, and 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 Richie, John, and Ian didn't interfere with. There was there was no oh. like there was no. I'm going to sing this. There was none of that. There was never any of that with David and I. And they let you guys decide. Yes. What parts are which? I must say, because you know, could Richie, again, eccentric, 
uh, again, I say that with love, nobody came in uh, with a gun and said, no, you shouldn't be singing that, because it was obvious the bridge part of Burn was, I wrote that from my voice, you know, mm. and it's like, Mistreated was a David, I mean, R- Richie played me Mistreated, it's the only song Richie wrote prior to me coming in and David. The only thing he had written was the music to Mistreated, and I'm going, holy shit, I'm not going to be singing this one. Mm-hmm. So David sang it uh, with, with, with grace. So there's been a lot of um, people talking about how did they get on the vocals. There was never any push and pull, mm. ever, ever. But you didn't even uh, miss a beat either. You're talking about being the biggest band in the world, go straight into Burn, and the band, it, it, it was a hit. It was a top five hit in 43 countries. Right, so people bought into it right away. And by the way, Chris, I, I, and this has been on the internet, I've said this to somebody else, but I think if Burn was, would have been a stinker, you and I w- would be speaking, but we wouldn't be speaking right here, right now. <laughs> because I don't think we, we would have been inducted. Because Burn was, you know, the Hall of Fame, they're pretty smart. They took a look at the sales and they took a look at the, the, the how many people we play. They do all this, the sales, how many people we play to, da 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 da, da you know, and it's like... Um, you mean to decide whether your lineup worthy, deserves to go in? Am I worthy? <laughs> and um, I, I guess that David and I were damn lucky. I, I guess a little bit of love, a little bit of luck. Mm-hmm. We're in the right place at the right time. We made a left on Sepulveda instead of made a right. It was all that <laughs> yeah, yeah, serendipity yeah. stuff. You know, we didn't know we were going to have success. I said when I was a kid, I didn't know I was going to. I started out as trombone, then guitar, <laughs> then keyboards, then bass, and then singer. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. Let's talk about um, one of my favorite gigs that I still watch, uh, the California Jam, mm. 1974. I mean, one of the biggest crowds and Deep Purple, you know, headlining. And, and tell us about that. I mean, there's some crazy stuff that happened on that stage that night. 250,000 people bought tickets and 150,000 jumped over the fence. That's incredible. Remember, back in those days, security wasn't like it is now. Yeah. And there was a fence. Uh, the, the huge is it on the speedway? Huge, huge. What, what part of California Ontario. was that? Ontario. Ontario. Okay, gotcha. Ninety miles yeah. east, almost in Orange County area. Yeah, kind of it's thing, east, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it was it was a, a speedway, and there was a chicken wire kind of fence, you know, easy to break down. Yeah, and like some, you know, in the night, one hundred fifty thousand people just jumped over it. So we played at 400,000, and on the contract, contracts were always contracts. Our contract was solid, and we were the headliner, and we brought ELP in to sell tickets with us. But we wanted to go on the first band with lights, because the first band with lights are 
Uh, even today, the first band with lights. You're talking about when the sun goes down and it's dark, and now you have you the know, lighting there's, rig. There's a point in the in a festival, as you know, yeah. where the people are playing earlier, and then the band that has the lights has an impact. And we wanted to be the penultimate band. That means we wanted ELP to close, but we wanted to be the first band that had production. Best slot. And this yeah. is the statement that is a soundbite. It was the first festival in history where everything was running an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> Probably we, the last. We were supposed to go on. This is no joke. I think it was ten past seven. It's sundown. A contract. A re- really hardcore contract. We go on at sundown no matter what. You know what I'm saying? So, And it's six o'clock and they want us to go on. And it's broad daylight. We had trailers, and I think John and I were in one, and, and David and Ian were in another, and Richie was in his own, and um, people were walking in about a trail, I was getting ready to play, and you know, I mean, you know, I want to play, and Richie's locked himself in his trailer. Not just locked himself in, he's, he's got, <laughs> he's really doing a he's going crazy, and you know, they're knocking on the door for 20 minutes, and nope, not coming out. Not going to happen. You know, and eventually, cops knocking on the door, they're going to say, we're going to cause a riot, we're going to arrest you. And I don't know if you, and it's something you don't know, and a lot of people do not know this. When we do go on, it's not, it's, I think it's like 10 till 7 or something. Uh, Blackie, Blackmore had a, a you know, he, he wore a certain satin stuff on stage, satin pants and satin shirt with a little rose. If you notice, first half of the show, he's wearing his streetwear, which was also black, but it was, he was wearing like, it wasn't his stage gear. He was so angry. He was so angry that he had to do this. You know? Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I could see something was going to happen. Something was going to happen. But we didn't know he was going to blow that shit up. <laughs> okay? Yeah. But we knew. We felt. Because we knew him well. He was a big prankster. So the first thing that happened, it's not a contractual thing, but Rishi, in his peripheral vision to the left, he didn't want any... For some reason, he didn't like people standing to his peripheral left. Oh, really? Even his road, he had to stand back here or... He didn't no, like seeing somebody no with his vision. No, no stills, no, no filming to the left. <clears throat> it was a huge thing. And if you notice, back in those days, there was those guys, you know, on the cameras moving in and they're... You know, the, on the dolly? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what song it was, and this guy, the camera guy, kept yelling, Give me a shot! <laughs> give me a... Give me a shot! <laughs> So, he got a shot. And, and Richie was just done. He was, you saw what happened. He took his strat off and pounded the shit out of that camera. And then shoved it down the lens. Yeah, literally, yeah, straight up the lens. And you know something, man? When I saw that happen, I, I had no idea. Well, I knew he was, because Richie was, I, I keep saying eccentric, but he was full of, and he didn't give a Mm. Then he told his roadie, he just did this to his roadie, and his roadie poured gasoline over the 
fake Marshall rig, and then he signaled throw the match, <laughs> and then he threw the match, and then kaboom, Pacey's glasses came off. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, it made me. I I kind of left for a couple of inches on my heels. And, woo! <laughs> and I got out of the way. I'm going, well, this shit's going to look really good on TV. Yeah. Then you see, like, the dis- extinguishers coming out. And- well, and he's playing his guitar and, like, off the edge of the stage. And the one thing I love about it is you guys just keep the beat going, man. Pacey, Ian Pace, I-, I must say this, in the years I played with Deep Purple, never ever missed a beat or never made a mistake. Wow. In four-inch heels. <laughs> that's the that's the secret in four inch right? heels, yeah. Right, which as a drummer would be really hard because you're not connected he, to the he, kick drum. Because he knew a lot of famous drummers, mm-hmm. the Billy Cobbins, the Alvin's Mazans, the, the the jazz guys he likes, mm-hmm. and he'd say to them, "You're doing it in sneakers. I'm doing mine in heels." <laughs> yeah. So, but but that that show was massive for the band and the brand and for Warner Brothers. I mean, they were all excited by it's it classic yeah let's talk a little bit about Tommy Boland and kind of the forgotten man in the deep purple pantheon with the you had the inevitable or the unenviable task yeah. of replacing Gillen and, and Glover he has to come in and now replace Blackmore D- difficult I mean how were you, I would assume at this point you are involved in, in choosing the new guitar player mm-hmm. when Richie left I have to say it was David that found the Spectrum album much familiar if you know that Tommy played with Billy Cobham had an album called Spectrum and there's a song on there called Stratus you gotta hear this Chris the album was recorded in in a day live instrumental Tommy Bolan on that album was in my opinion and Jeff Beck too we thought that he was the greatest guitar player on the planet wow I think this is before the opiates came in and drinking I think this is you know, he was so fluid and so out of this world. He was so different to any guitar player. This is before we seen he had red and pink and gold hair and shit. You know? Right, right, right. Uh, and and David found it, and then he he sent it to Ian Pace, who's a drummer, and then he, they they sent it to me and John, and we're going, oh my god, it's so again, it's not like Richie Blackmore, but it's really, 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 really good, really, really good. And I, John, and I were thinking about closing the band I wanted to go back to trapeze but David Bowie was living at my home in 1975 for four months what what David Bowie was living uh, really yes he was preparing for a role in his movie Man Who Fell to Earth and he was uh, writing an album called Station to Station yeah the classic he was he he was living in my house uh, from April through July how did he? Were you obviously? We were very good them? friends. No kidding. Very, very, very good friends. Yeah. Wow, that's a whole other story. We've been friends for eighteen months, and we were kind of inseparable for a long time. Uh, he was going to make Young Americans, and he'd seen Calif- he'd seen Cal Jam on TV whilst he was staying at the Beverly Wilshire, and we were making Stormringer at that time. Oh, and I was yeah. once brought down, and he knew it, and he called me up and said, "Can you come up and meet me?" I'm going, "Are you Dave?" The David Bowie. <laughs> so I went up and met him, and we became friends. And and um, uh, he wanted to come out to California and hang with me. So you know, what did you guys do during that time frame? We we, we were naughty. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, it's a different Glenn back then. And we you know we we you know wrote some stuff and 
I think mine and Bowie's friendship was was the love of, of as you know, David was completely changed. He changed every year. Punk, uh, Ziggy, he called it Plastic Soul, uh, you know, Lansing, Young American. Yeah, station yeah, to Station yeah. was a majestic record. Heroes. Every year he changed his look, he changed his style, he changed. And he, he would lecture and be really kindly tell me, you have to change. He would go in my closet and throw away all my bells, buttons, and heels, cut my hair, and we had a very, very unique relationship. So he just, when Richie left, he said, well, you and David got the gig after, you know, Gillen and Glover left, you should be brave enough to audition somebody else, you know. Hmm. I think he convinced me to uh, to do that. And we, we auditioned, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you know what I'm talking about. When a guitar player or a bass player put their strap on and they they've got kind of and then they walk to their amp and they've got this movement you you, you know they're going to I just know it before they play a note that they're going to play a certain way and to, and Tommy was like that mm. you can just tell by his vibe I knew before he switched to, well I remember I heard him playing Spectrum right, right 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 and he had these these high watt rig like Townsend something mm-hmm. going hey man he's not he's not a jazz player this guy's gonna rock and he plugged his strat in and I'm going holy shit and this is before again I, I hate to to bring drugs into it but this is before we knew that he may have had a problem right with his with his substances and all that sort of stuff didn't know and, I, and, and by the way back then you know to be honest with you I was I was inebriated not all the time but I was getting sort of uh, going on the dark side a little bit as well mm-hmm. I hate the drug scenario but it has to be told so people can hopefully learn right 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 well because you're, you're you're infamous for that you know yeah I mean when I wrote my book um my sponsor said you've got to talk more about how dark it was and how you know the heart attack and this you know and you know i i don't i didn't want to show my ass mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. to and that has kept me sane i don't want to be a secret chris mm-hmm. i don't want to have i don't want i i want to i i have to tell you about amsterdam Please, you know, I had yeah, to tell yeah. in the book. You know, I had to tell. You know, I've survived so much because of the truth. Mm-hmm. What's the Amsterdam? Tell us the Amsterdam. Well, you know, I'd I'd been sober. I got sober in ninety one on Christmas Day, um, having a heart attack, and I had been to Betty Ford the week before. I was doing hmm, great. This is something you do not know. I was ghost singing a George Lynch album that Robert Mason sang on in 91. In other words, you were I was kind it. of like helping them ghost, kind of ghost sing some stuff. And, it's, and, and 91 for me, I was pretty much under the radar. I was really out of it. Mm-hmm. But that producer said, um, we'd like you to come down and, and, and help George Lynch, who's a fan. And a friend, of course, uh, arranged some stuff. And and the producer said, instead of paying you money, why don't 
He'd, he'd been in Betty Ford. He said he knew that, I, and I was staying with him in Malibu. And um, he said, "Why don't you think about going to Betty Ford and, and getting self, you know, diagnosed uh, if you might be an alcoholic addict?" He said, "I could, rather than pay you, I can. What about I pay them to, you know, to pay for your rehab recovery, <laughs> right. right?" And I had a moment of clarity. It was a very, very brief, short stint in the mirror. I went, I'll take it. But I went to Betty Ford. I did drive out there, and they said, we have no beds right now. Can you come Jan 17th? I said, okay. So I went home for Christmas. Would have been three days before Christmas. Scored that big bag of dope and stuff and had a heart attack Christmas night. Wow. This is something I'm, I, I don't want to be grandiose about. I'm not commenting too much on, on my activity as a drug guy, but I had to get sober. And God, whoever it was, or the great whoever, gave me a nudge, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got sober. And around November of 91, I sang a song with a band called KLF who were a rap, white rap band, biggest rap band in Europe. And I, I sang a song called What Time Is Love? America. They rapped and I sang. This was a rap mm-hmm. thing, like hip-hop kind of thing. Can you imagine? You yeah. can imagine. But I, my, well, before I, that was prevalent. That's though. why they, the, the, the voice of rock, they started to call me up from that point. <laughs> so that song was number one in 17 countries the day after I got out of Betty Ford. <laughs> so you know what I did? My career went... You gotta go to England because you gotta go on top of the pops. So they told me in Betty Ford, number one, don't travel. Number two, stay away from people that use drugs. <laughs> and what I did was I traveled and I was hanging around people that were smoking pot. But I, it took four years of me not being around a lot of program people because once you get out of a treatment, you're supposed to do 90 days of this and that and blah. Mm-hmm. I'd had a big song, a number one tra- track in England, which I hadn't had for years. And I went and um, I went and, and I was dry drunk for four years until I found myself in 1994 in Amsterdam. I found, I found myself in Amsterdam and I found a guy, it's just all stupid, and said, uh, you want to go to a, um, <laughs> you want to go to a rave with me? I'm going, and my disease is going, you can have just one. Uh, that's the story. And, yeah. they, you know. and one leads to two, and there you go. Cause, because you, know, you hear the, the, the cliché is like, I don't remember. If you, if you remember the 80s, you weren't there. And you literally don't remember, don't remember don't. the 80s. Now, do you really don't, don't remember? Yes, I do remember epic things like the, the I army things because... When you were the, sa- the quote-unquote you know, Sabbath for a while. Yeah. Sa- and, and, and you... I think your listeners need to know the story because it's a real story. Doug Goldstein went on to manage Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, but Doug Goldstein was hired as a security guy. I mean, really trained security man. He wasn't just like a, a dude you meet in a bar that could be big enough to be a security guy. Yeah, he was yeah. a trained right. security man who later went on to manage Guns N' Roses. The early Guns N' Roses with Alan Niven. Doug was hired to literally 
be with me 24-7, adjoining rooms. He, he, he had a thread on the, hat, on, the, on the knob on the door if I left the room. So I couldn't do any drugs, but I could drink a little bit. Is this when you were doing the Sabbath thing? Yeah. Okay. But, as you know, back in the day, before a band would leave on tour, they would go to SIR and do a kind of a run-through for fan base and celebs kind of thing. Right. And we did that. And the guys in Motley Crue came down and blah, 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 blah. After that show, four days before Cleveland, I went to the Cat and Fiddle pub, and the t- production manager was with me, and we got into a bit of a fracas in the elevator back at the hotel, Sunset Marquee. And he, he thought that I, I deserved a black eye. Well, he didn't give me a he gave me a black eye, but he also broke the, the bone here, which it, went into my nose. Orbital bone? Broke, yeah. it, it, it splintered. <laughs> and you know about this because you, this is your yeah. world. I didn't. I knew it was broken. I, I had a black eye that you, you. You've seen some black eyes. This was a black face. So I'm, you know, covered with makeup on for the first three or four shows. And by the time we hit Meadowlands, this is famous because <laughs> I hear it all the time from people in New Jersey that, that paid money to see this debacle. Not only could I couldn't sing, I couldn't speak. Mm. The first song was um, Mob Rules. And, I, and to every Sabbath fan, any Sabbath fan that was at any of those shows, I would gladly do it again for you for free. As you know, Tony and I are brothers to this day. It was the the most catastrophic thing I've ever done in my whole life. Mm. I didn't want to get hit by that guy. Did I deserve to get hit? I, maybe I deserved to get a, 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 a telling off. I don't think you should any, hit anyone in the face mm-hmm. that's going to have to perform. Um, so what happened was, um, and Meadowlands, they could see there was a problem. They didn't know the, the blood was caked onto my vocal cords. Ooh. Chris, when regular, it's funny thing is, this is weird, but it's, it's a laugh now to me, but I didn't do a sound check at the Meadowlands because Ray Gillen was like rehearsing with them. Ah, you know, your, I, I'm your replacement. I love because Ray was a good friend yeah. of mine. And by the time we hit Worcester, Massachusetts on row six, uh, on show six, after that show, which, by the way, now I couldn't even... Nothing was, nothing's coming nothing out. Nothing was yeah. coming out. Um, I was in a room after the, part, after the show, and, and somebody I heard somebody talking about the new singer to replace Glenn. My ears went, hello? <laughs> and I, I could see it was a really good-looking guy traveling with us and I'm going I said to him hi man I'm glad he said I'm ready he, he, he didn't tell me but somebody told me in that room that night that this man was replacing me because I was going to be sent home and I I, I was really upset but in, in a way I'm going this is actually best for Sabbath as a family because something has happened to me yes um I was hit in the face, blah, 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 and I felt awful that I couldn't sing. So they basically sent me home and told me that it best we carry on with this young man, Ray, mm-hmm. an unknown guy. And I went into hospital in, in, in Worcester the day after I was let go, and they did a full check, and they said, you know, you've got all kinds of things going on in your throat, and you may never sing again. Ooh. And I couldn't really do anything for six months. 
But that, those six months were brutally awful for me. Mm-hmm. Trying to recover from drugs, trying to stay off drink, and and um, I felt so awful for Tony because you know it wasn't appropriate. Look, I'm not blaming the guy that hit me in the face. I can't take it back. I can't redo it all. You know that that guy died a year later. Mm. Um, but um, for anybody that was there on any of those shows on the East Coast. I feel so bad that, uh, and everybody that knows now that I'm not that same man, mm-hmm. and I've regained the voice back, <laughs> the voice of and my sobriety. Yeah. But I love Tony Iommi like a, a, I, I'm an only child. He's like a blood to me, mm-hmm. you know. And his health is so important to me. But th- that story is a really significantly true account of an embarrassing, you know. Um, thing that happened especially as a singer there's nothing more frustrating when you can't perform you know a guitar player can just lie in the back and but singing yeah. when you're out there and you don't have the notes tony would come to worst. me in in a dressing room before the show and we'd try I, i'd always ask to sing a dio thing that was a little quiet that went into uh the children of the sea or yes yeah thank you the classic <laughs> yeah. that's the one because it was kind of breathy at the start and i'm going i can maybe get this part then it went, and I'm going, okay, I can't do that. And every night, I couldn't, I mean, and Mob Rules is a difficult song to start with. Yeah, and then, right. And, you know, it's all over the, like, you know, there's some stuff on the footage on the internet that is, and it's like, I think in life, we, Chris, I know you relate to this, sometimes we have to learn by our mistakes. I don't, I've never condemned the guy for beating me. He lost his life. I don't have any resentment towards him. Mm-hmm. I've actually made amends to him. When he was he died, I had to go to where he was buried. Oh, wow. I, because, you know, maybe I did something to deserve a, mm-hmm. uh, in his mind a black eye. I, I didn't want to have one. Uh, I didn't threaten to uh, you know, kill his mum or something. <laughs> yeah, or right, shag right. his whatever. Yeah. My concern was, again, I'm a fan-based kind of guy. Those people that bought tickets to yeah. see their favorite band, you know. Right, right, right. And uh, regardless of the situation, uh, I am such, such fa- I mean, all the guys in Sabbath are family members mm-hmm. to me. But that was the most embarrassing portion sure, of sure. my career. Just a couple last questions. You mentioned living with Boyd. Did you, were you still friends with him throughout the last 20, 30 years? Or was that just Tone? a time with Bowie? Oh, Bowie. Yeah. Uh, not really. It's famously known, and if you don't know this, and people do that know David, when David called his LA experience the dark years, 74 through 76, he was experimenting with drugs. I I was never an experimenter. I just was an addict, you know. And David, um, when he left LA in 76 and went to Berlin with Iggy, he was so glad to get away from his... He, he thought it was demonic. He thought mm. the swimming pool in my house, the devil was in there. It was really, really. really? Re- Look, Chris, if you stay, you don't know this, but if you, st- well, if you did stay awake without drugs and drink for four or five days, you'd see things as well. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, but David and I were toxic, as, as Joe and Stephen were, and um, but it wasn't just about drugs. We loved one another, you know. But when he left LA. And I've known other people. He's he, 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 really good friends of his. They never heard from him again. Uh, he had a he had a real problem with the way he lived his life. 
in that period in LA where he was full of fear, full of, um, I don't know, man, he, he, he was a, a Jekyll and Hyde thing, you know. I'm sure that years later he'd worked his way through the program and worked that out. I'd spoken to him on the phone a couple of times and emailed, but I never saw him. Mm. He didn't see a lot of people from L.A., you know. Right. Maybe a trigger for him or something along those lines. And, and by the way, they are, they are sometimes devastatingly real. Mm-hmm. But it was devastating is not the word I would use when he passed away because I had no idea, you know. I don't think anybody did. No, there's only a handful of people. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Have you heard that Black Star album? Yeah. It's excellent. The video for that song, Lazarus, and now I look at it and go, oh, my God, it's like, oh. He knew. He knew. He knew it was up. Yeah, yeah, and that photograph that was taken of him in New York where he's kind of walking up some steps, he's got the hat on, he's smiling, and he's like oh, two weeks before he died. Yeah. Went, oh, my God. Incredible that he knew. Final question as you're about ready to go in the Hall of Fame. I know you're a busy guy today, but what's your favorite Deep Purple song that you that you played on? Oh, man. You know, Chris, it's a it's a no brainer for me because Blackmore came into the rehearsal in the dungeon of Clearwell Castle, this medieval castle we were writing. Burn, he said, we we got pretty much a record, and he said, I have this word that is etched in my brain, and the word is burn. But we need us to write a song. You guys need to write some lyrics to a song called Burn. And within 25 minutes, we, had, we wrote the song on the spot. John came up with the Bach, you know, stuff. Richie came up with the intro. I wrote the bridge, the music, and the lyrics. And David wrote the, the witch girl. <laughs> it was done in 25 minutes. So much so that as Highway Star was a great opener and Speed King, we knew that Byrne could be, maybe, could be one of those types of songs. So that has to be. I, I recorded a lot of music with Deep Purple, but that song, as we were recording it, with, with majestic song, you know, hugely, Ian Pace's drumming is insane, the solos, David and I's back and forth. I thought it was a wonderful piece of music. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be Burn, you know. The calling card. I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Newest member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, man. Congratulations, yeah. Glenn. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. God bless you. Thanks so much to Glenn Hughes, perfect English gentleman, such a great guy, uh, dresses perfect, He's, he looks cool, and he still sings like a mofo. And if you want to check it out, Glenn is touring with his solo band this summer. Their dates start this coming Tuesday, August 9th in Annapolis, Maryland. They're crisscrossing the states, and you can see all the dates and buy tickets by going to glennhughes.com. That's Glenn with two N's. That's G-L-E-N-N-H-U-G-H-E-S.com. GlennHughes.com. Glenn sounds great. And what a catalog he's got between the Deep Purple songs, uh, uh, between the Black Sabbath tunes that he did, all of his great solo work. He's got uh, he's got uh, uh, Black Country Communion stuff that he does. So so much great stuff. Glenn is a, uh, a true rock and roll legend and a true rock and roll hero. And you can go check him out live. Go to glennhughes.com to see all the tour dates that's coming up uh, in the United States starting August 9th, okay? Uh, don't forget also, coming up March 15th, 2017, it's the biggest podcast ever. 
All right. That's Mick Foley joining Talk is Jericho. The countdown has begun. 220 days left until the biggest podcast ever. All right, and I want to thank you guys for listening today, and I want to continue to thank you for supporting all my great Talk is Jericho sponsors, including ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get 20% off anything you purchase for a limited time, including the new collector's edition of The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, this amazing documentary. you got to see it. Also, audible.com slash Jericho. Start your 30-day trial and download your first audiobook for free. You can listen to the best in the world at what I have no idea for free if you go to audible.com slash Jericho and start that 30-day trial. And of course, uh, True Car on the True Car app, the fastest way to get a car, a new car, to buy a car. You're going to save money. You're going to save a whole lot of time. And also, thanks again to Amazon, the OG sponsor, the first sponsor of Talk is Jericho. Use my Amazon links anytime you do any online shopping. All my links are at podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the usa uk canada every time you use the talk is jericho links amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs anything you buy i want you to take a picture of it and post it on twitter at talk is jericho i will retweet it and i'll follow you as well okay don't forget go to podcast1.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button it's all there so thanks again for listening uh go back and check out some of the podcasts that you might have missed over the last couple of weeks there's been some great ones broken matt hardy holy smokes getting huge feedback on the broken matt hardy uh podcast and also on the shinsuke nakamura podcast from last week andy kindler was great uh, Bailey was huge cosplay with Tanya Tate she was telling us all about that and of course Talk and Shop live in Hawaii presented by Talk is Jericho lots of entertainment waiting for you so go check it out if you want to okay speaking of more entertainment this Wednesday a very special episode of Talk is Jericho we're going to be talking about 80s teen sex comedies that's right, talking porkies, fast times at Ridgemont High, screwballs, uh, the hard bodies, all of those great teen sex comedies that we all grew up with, if you grew up in the 80s. I'll be joined by Eli Roth and his brother Gabe to discuss 80s teen sex comedies. It's a hilarious, hilarious show. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. That is going to be here on Wednesday. So I will see you then, okay, with Melvin Jerkowski. That was the uh, one of the stars of Screwballs. Okay, that's what we're dealing with. We're talking teen sex comedies of the 80s. It's going to be a great show, and we will see you then. Thank you so much. Have a safe weekend, and remember, good boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.